Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Shabbos, 
Shabbat Kodesh, I got a show 
time I turn around I find myself knocked down אבל אני יהודי as proud as can be אני יהודי אני יהודי I'm not afraid to be אני יהודי and I'll fight for what's right I'll lay my life I'm alive for Hashem with every breath I take it's all for heaven's sake אני יהודי I don't know what just happened here at JM in the AM. I, I hit the wrong button somewhere, and all of a sudden the Ari Goldwag song had ended. And my apologies for that. Um, but nonetheless, I say good morning and welcome to a Friday. Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. So the Ani Yehudi selection uh, was from Ari Goldwag. His um, a cappella soul, volume number nine. L'chad Odi from 613, eighth day, had Aye Makom with Shamru from Yehuda Solomon, Bitachon and Kieshmara. Kol Zimra had uh, Vayavarech. Shabbos and Gilo done by Leif Tahar, Bitachon with Ashes Chayel, Shabbos Kodesh from, brand new from Herschel Rosenberg, and of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday, everybody. It's Erev Shabbos here at JMM. In fact, our final Friday of the Sphere of Format. Here at JM in the AM. I'm dropping everything today. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what actually, I think I hit the wrong button because I dropped something. Uh, and I think that's what caused the whole problem with the um, with the uh, music going up. Anyway, or switching, I should say. Welcome to a Friday on this uh, fifth day of uh, May. Day number 14 in the month of ER. Today is Pesach Sheni. Today is Pesach Sheni. If you're not familiar with Pesach Sheni, literally the second Pesach, consult with your local rabbi. There's a custom for uh, some to eat matzah today because, after all, it is Pesach Sheni. But again, if you're not familiar, consult with your local rabbi. Today is day number 29 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day number 29. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today again. Today is day number 29. In the counting of the Omer. Uh, candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR is 736 in New York. 736 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. This coming Tuesday is Lagba Omer. We will get back into our regular format. Our Lagba Omer programming is brought to you by our friends at 24-6. You're going to be hearing a lot regarding 24-6 on these airwaves. 
Uh, they are a, uh, a a brand new, at least you know for this audience, um, it's certainly brand new. It's a brand new music video and podcast kosher entertainment platform. And once you see what they provide and once you see uh, how it works, uh, you're going to want to have this for you and your family. It's 24-6. In fact, you can go to the website. Uh, let me give you the address. Uh, you can go to the website at 246.app.register. Excuse me, 246.app slash register. And you can get information about that. Now, the 24-6 is 24-S-I-X, 24-S-I-X. Anyway, our friends at 24-6 are going to be uh, bringing you our Tuesday Lagba Omer celebration right here uh, at the um, at the Nahum Siegel Network, and we are going to be working in collaboration with each other. They're going to be uh, – well, we'll be doing a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, the bottom line is they are a kosher music, video, and podcast entertainment platform uh, geared really to all ages, and um, we will give you all the information about how to order and how to become a subscriber, et cetera, et cetera. So they're going to bring us the um, Lagba Omer special this coming Tuesday. All right, so this is the final Friday of our Sphere of Format here at JM in the AM. Um, a weekly update with Malcolm Honline one hour away, one hour away from the weekly update. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, is going to be joining us. We'll have that for you coming up. And a whole bunch more. There's a... There's a lot going on. There, there really is a lot going on. Oh, by the way, put on the calendar now, uh, Milah Cohen. Milah Cohen, who is set to release a brand new album. Milah Cohen. Yeah, that Milah Cohen, who's set to release a brand new album, is going to be visiting JM and the AM this coming Wednesday morning, right here in our Teaneck studio. Wednesday morning, Milah Cohen will be visiting us here at JM and the AM. And again, that happens in our Teaneck studio this coming Wednesday. Very much looking forward to it as, again, he's set to release a brand new album. And uh, we will go over all the details of uh, what's been happening with him and his career and all the different things that uh, are going into producing and releasing this brand new album. So we're really going to kick off. We're going to kick off Lagba Omer uh, with a... Uh, a tremendous um, push from our friends at 24-6. Then Wednesday, we're going to be uh, featuring Mila Cohen and uh, a lot of exciting programming coming up that I can tell you. A lot of exciting programming coming up here at the Nahum Siegel Network. All right. Um, thanks for listening in. It's JM in the AM. Here are our friends from Waterbury. Just lost souls wanting more You look into my eyes And there is nothing you will find Just a lost soul left behind And I know I'm far from perfect Every day I'm trying to be a better person Don't get lost in the motions Cause you don't know The path I've chosen
All I wanted was connection Couldn't see through my reflection Only see the cracks on my surface Is all my trying even worth it? Is all my trying even worth it? Is all my trying even worth it? I know we've all been that before Just lost souls wanting My eyes and there isn't nothing you will find Just the lost soul left behind Put yourself in his shoes Cause you don't know What he's going through Just open up your eyes and see him through Trust me, that's all he wants from you. I know we've all been there before. Just lost souls wanting more. You look into my eyes and there is nothing you will find. Just a lost soul left behind. No, we've all been there before Just lost souls wanting more You look into my eyes And there is nothing you will find Just a lost soul left behind I know we've all been there before Souls wanting more. You look into my eyes, and there is nothing you will find. Just a lost soul left behind.
Ben Drawer wrapping up the hour at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world of web and AlchemSingle.com on the AlchemSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. 
Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Before Mayor Ben-Dror, you heard Bitachon with Kari Bone, Nigwin Shabbos by the Chabad Choir. Been there, done by our friends at Waterbury. Coming up, we'll speak with our friends from the Kobe Mandel Foundation in the 7 o'clock hour, plus, of course, our weekly update on the way. Galat Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at JMM. הפשע ברחובות, מהנד שלבי בן שלושים הוא הגבר שנורא למוות בין מהל סמוך לנצרת. צוות מגן דוד אדום פינה אותו במצב אנוש לבית החולים האנגלי בעיר שם נקבע מותו. הרקע לרצח הוא סכסוך בין עבריינים. מספר הנרצחים בחברה הערבית מתחילת השנה עומד כעת על 70 לעומת 27 בתקופה המקבילה אשתקד. ידיעה שריכזו כתבינו עד ארגיציס ואדם פרש. תאונות הדרכים רוכב אופנוע בשנות החמישים לחייו, נפגע מרכב מצפון לנווה זוהר בכביש 90 בנסיבות הנחקרות עתה. כתבנו בדרום רמי שני מוסר שצוות מגן דוד אדום העביר אותו באמצעות מסוק כשהוא במצב קשה למרכז הרפואי סורוקה בבאר שבע. שני פצועים נוספים במצב קל הועברו באמבולנס לבית החולים. המשטרה עצרה אמש הורים תושבי כפר קאסם בשנות ה-20 לחייהם בחשד שתקפו והזניחו את ילדיהם. חוקרי תחנת כפר קאסם פתחו בחקירה לאחר שקיבלו דיווח הזוג הורים תושבי העיר שתקפו על פי החשד את הפעוטות בני שנתיים ושלוש. לאחר חקירת הילדים בידי גורמי הרווחה התחזקו החשדות נגד ההורים ובחיפוש בביתם על החשש להזנחה. מעצרם של ההורים הוארך עד יום שני. ארבעה סוהרים וסוהרות נפצעו אתמול מזריקת אבנים בהפגנה מול נציבות בתי הסוהר ברמלה לאות הזדהות עם עצור השוהה במתקן כליאה. כתבתנו עדה שטייף מציינת כי מדובר בעצור החשוד בהצטת חנויות מכשירי סלולר במגזר החרדי. המשטרה מבקשת את עזרת הציבור בחיפושים אחר הנהדרת שרה טאוטנג בת 78 מסדרות, גובהה מטר ושישים, שערה ארוך ושחור, היא לבשה חצאית שחורה וחיסוי ראש שחור. המשטרה מבקשת מכל מי שיכול להשתתף בחיפושים ברגל, ברכב או מפעילי רחפנים להגיע אל החפק בסדרות ולסייע במאמצי החיפושים הנרחבים המתנהלים ברחבי העיר וסביבתה. מזג האוויר שרבי ברוב אזורי הארץ, מהצהריים יחזור בהדרגה לאזורנו אוויר לח וקריר, הרוחות תתחזקנה ויעשה אביך, מחר תחול ירידה ניכרת בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות. Let us break this up.
J.M. in the A.M. with A.K.A. Pella. Godlu before that draw ye crah. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Today is Pesach Sheni. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. It's Pesach Sheni today. Today is also day number 29 in the counting of the Omer. Day number 29. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Candle lighting in New York, 736 on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's M.R. Again, 736 candlelighting time uh, on this uh, parsh on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR. Uh, Tuesday is Lagba Omer, our Lagba Omer celebration brought to you by our friends at 24-6. 24-6 is an amazing music video and podcast kosher entertainment platform, which we're going to be talking about here on um, a JM in the AM. Uh, we're very impressed with what they're doing, and we'll tell you more and more about it. Also, don't forget that uh, after Tuesday, which gets us back into our regular format, we are already bringing in some uh, amazing live music guests, including Milech Cohen, who's going to be here Wednesday. Milech Cohen in studio Wednesday here at JM in the AM. Very much looking forward to that. Milech Cohen visits us Wednesday right here at JM in the AM. Uh, Harry Rothenberg's words are being presented in honor of a Rafur Shlema for Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava. Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava. Please keep her in mind. 
Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Here is Harry Rothenberg on Parsha's MR at JM in the AM. At the very end of the Parsha, we read the troubling story of the blasphemer. Here's the background. Back in Egypt, there was one time when there was an intimate relationship between an Egyptian and a Jew, and it was a forced one. One of the Egyptian slave masters violated a Jewish woman, and they had a son as a result. Now fast forward, they're in the wilderness. Each one of the tribes has its own camp, and this fellow goes to pitch his tent in the camp of Dan, Dun. Why? Because that's the tribe his mother was from. The other members of the tribe of Dan object. They say, look, we're very sorry, but it goes by the father. Your father was an Egyptian. You don't belong here. They have a court case. The fellow loses, and he goes out in a moment of tremendous anger and curses God. Unforgivable sin. The question is, tribe of Dan, what is up? You're in the wilderness. There's an endless amount of space. What is the big deal? if one extra dude pitches one extra tent in your camp. And one commentator explains, they were worried about this fellow, this son of an Egyptian man. They were worried that he might be a bad influence. And they were right. You see, retroactively, he cursed God. Now, people get very upset when they lose lawsuits. I can tell you that. I've seen it. But still, you can be upset, but you don't curse God. So we see from here that one person can poison an entire camp or neighborhood, or school, or bunk, or classroom. So we've got to be very careful. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to hermetically seal ourselves and our children inside and make sure there are no outside influences whatsoever. We have an obligation to share and open our homes, to give our time and share our wealth with those less fortunate. But we do have to be careful. We have to be mindful and always watch out for bad influences. And there's one time when we have to be particularly careful. There's a story told in Pirkei Avos, Ethics of the Fathers, of a great sage who was traveling on the way from one place to another, and he was stopped by a stranger. Said to him, where are you from? He said, oh, I come from a city of great sages and scholars. The stranger says to the rabbi, really? If you'll move to our town, I will pay you a fortune, a king's ransom. And the rabbi says, for all the wealth in the world, I won't do it. I'll only live in a place of Torah. Why? In that story do we need to be told that the rabbi was traveling on the way. Just say, there was a rabbi, he got this incredible offer to leave his place of Torah, to go to a place that didn't have a Torah framework, and he said no. So one commentator explains, that detail is very important. It's telling us that you have to be extra careful when you're traveling. When you're in your home, you have control over the environment. You can control what comes in. Yes, the internet is a big problem, but you can filter it. You should filter it when you're on the road, far less control. You don't know who you're gonna be sitting next to on the bus or the train or the plane. So when you're traveling from point A to point B, be extra careful. J.M. and the A.M. Sphere of Format Friday. My thanks to Harry Rothenberg. Rabbi Yudin coming up in the 8 o'clock hour with more about Parsha's MR, of course, on this Pesach Sheni. Uh, in addition, uh, our weekly update is on the way. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. We'll talk about the uh, events of the week. And I wanted to mention, by the way, that uh, we have a full schedule here today. 
at the, the Nahum Siegel Network, including a brand new table for two with Naomi Nachman recorded in Australia this week. That'll be coming up at 9 o'clock right after JM and the AM right here on NSN. Candle lighting in New York, 736. Make sure you know when things start where you are, 736 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Emor. Over the past year, and particularly the past few months, the community of victims of terror have again been thrust into the forefront of Israeli attention and the needs of the community have increased considerably. One of the organizations working every day to respond to those needs is the Kobe Mandel Foundation. Founded over 20 years ago when 13-year-old Kobe Mandel was murdered in a terror attack together with his friend Yosef Ishran. In response, his parents, are by Seth and Sherry Mandel, and we've, we've had the opportunity to speak with both of them on the air, started the organization to help uh, other families dealing with those traumas. Today, the organization is headed by Kobe's sister, Eliana Mandel Bronner, and she is with us live via telephone from Israel. A pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, just timing-wise, if I'm not mistaken, today is Kobe's yard site. Is that correct? Yes, we. Um, I, I'm just back from the from the grave site. Um, came back about an hour ago. For those who remember, and obviously the story is getting further and further away from us, not for his family, obviously, but for the general community. Uh, Kobe was with his friend, actually uh, going out to uh, do some fun stuff and some. Uh, twig collection before Lagba Omer and uh, today is the yard side Lagba Omer obviously coming up on Monday night I can only imagine what uh, what it's like this time of year for the Mandel family uh you know Eliana there's um we talk about the uh the families of terror victims being thrust back into the headlines it's not just for Israelis by the way as I read earlier it's really in my opinion the entire world the collective Jewish heart aches with tremendous agony uh, at all of these uh, terror attacks, in particular the recent ones which have taken siblings, recent ones which have taken some of the absolute stars we've learned, uh, you know, posthumously of the Jewish community. And um, I, I guess your work, frankly, unfortunately, just never ends. Uh, not only are you dealing with people who are now being thrust into this terrible arena, but you're obviously um, dealing with families that have been in this type of situation for many, many years. You ever get the feeling that this work just never ends? Well, standing at the grave today, I was speaking to Kobe and I said to him that I was hoping that in 22 years, I wouldn't have to explain to my children what terror is and what death is. And unfortunately, it just feels like we're being pushed right back to where we were 22 years ago with this terrible, terrible wave of terror that's been attacking us and which has been happening all over um and i can really i see it with our families how each each attack really affects them and bring and and throws us all back to to 22 years ago to 30 years ago to when to when we were all um to the intifada and it's yeah. really it's a very difficult time yeah it's been uh unfortunately it's been um very easy to tell the young people of today uh, what it was like back then, because as you said, we're getting a very big dose of these um, uh, of these terror attacks, and some of our best and finest being taken by the enemy on uh, all too regular a basis. Eliana Mandel Bronner is with us live via telephone. Uh, heads the 
Kobe Mandel Foundation. All right, so there are a couple of things. First of all, call a vote to you guys because, you know, Camp Kobe started and Comedy for Kobe started years ago. And, you know, for obvious reasons, usually, uh, these things have a tremendous amount of strength when they start and as they continue for a while. And then it's, it's hard to keep the momentum going. It's pretty amazing that your organization has been able to keep both of these very robust programs going as strong as they are. Not only are they, are they going, they're growing. Um, we started the year with 400 families, and now we're at 600 families. So the Cody Mandel Foundation is, after corona, um, we got an extra boost of families, and we've just been, been, been growing and growing. And thank God we have the support of so many communities around in America and in Israel um, and all around the world that are helping us get our work, do our work. This it's really been an incredible 22 years, and it's and it's just—I feel like we're just beginning now. This summer, according to what I read, you're going to have a hundred more children in the summer camp program that you've had in the past. Yes, we had 400 kids last summer, and we're going to have 500 kids this summer. How long does this program last? How many days or weeks uh, does Camp Kobe go for? So Camp Kobe in the summer is six days, and then we meet again in Hanukkah for three more days and then in Pesach again for two more days. And the campers meet during the year with their groups and with their group leaders. Um, and they stay in touch for the entire year. And this might be overstating the obvious, but why not? Let's make it clear to everybody listening around the world. Uh, this is literally a camp program that's exclusively for kids from the families that you're servicing. I mean, anybody who's been touched uh, by terror in, a, in, in quite a direct way, those are the campers who are in the camping program, right? Yes. Anybody who has lost a father, mother, sister, or brother comes to our camp. And, you know, it sounds uh, kind of depressing, all these kids who are who lost a loved one, but really Camp Kobe is the happiest place in the world. It's the one place where these kids can come and relax and take off their mask and really show who they really are and just have fun. Well, you know what it's like, unfortunately, to be the sibling of a terror victim, someone who's been taken from us by the enemy. What's it like when you get together with people who are your age who've been through a similar situation? So I, I, as you said, I was a camper in Camp Kobe. And for me, I didn't talk about losing my brother anywhere else. The only place where anybody knew that I lost my brother was at Camp Kobe, other than, of course, my community. I, when I was in, 12, in, in um, seventh grade, I went to a new school, and no one in my school knew that I was a, a bereaved sister because I didn't want them to feel sorry for me. And coming to Camp Kobe, you walk into a room, and the first thing that somebody asks you is, why are you here? So the first thing and the thing that connects us all is the thing that we hide everywhere else. So really, it's just the most therapeutic thing. It was, it was for me as a camper, and it still is for all of our campers, the most therapeutic thing to be able to not hide it and for it to be something positive that connects us all. We, uh, we made the point, and, and so many people obviously have been affected by it, uh, you know, siblings uh, who've been victims recently in, in, in terror attacks in Israel, etc. Um, what's it like for you when you meet a sibling of a recent 
terror victim. Uh, obviously, you can relate in terms of what they're going through, but obviously there's been some healing for you over a long period of time, which they have not yet experienced. What, what's it like when you have an encounter with a sibling who lost someone days ago? So usually when I go to Shiva or I meet them a few days after, when I walk in, they it's like they're looking at me for answers. Right. They're looking at me to tell them that it gets better. Um, and I try to just listen and hear what's, and, and, and be there for them and support them. And I do tell them that, that right now it's, it's the, the hardest thing that they'll ever have to go through. Um, but as the years go by, the death is still there and the pain is still there, but it's not the same. And, and life won't go on because I don't believe that life goes on. I believe that you start a completely new life, but they will start a new life and they'll be able to live. Um, and some of them, for some of them, it's, that's what they need to hear, that they'll be able to, to, to live. Because when, when you're at the beginning, when you just finish the shiva and it's just in a few days, you really don't know how you're going to get up the next morning. Yeah, I remember your mother's perspective on this uh, when we spoke with her shortly after the uh, tragic episode. It, are, are you amazed that your parents were able to do all this to, to uh, establish a foundation, to reach out to hundreds uh, to be responsible, really, for the you know, therapy in a way. I don't, I don't mean that in a professional sense, but you get my point of, of so many kids, especially kids, you know, who've been through situations like this. I mean, your parents or any parent in any situation could literally just, you know, you know, live out the rest of their life, so to speak, and not get over to any degree, you know, the entire experience. Are you amazed with what they were able to accomplish? I'm astonished. When Kobe was murdered, the first thing my father said was, was we have three more children. I am not going to let the terrorists ruin my family. And, and now as a mother of four, I cannot understand how that was the first thing that came out of his mouth. The thought of losing a child is so astronomical. It's something that I don't even want to think of. Yeah. And I am just blown away by what my parents have been able to accomplish. And the fact that this foundation has kept going for the past 22 years is absolutely incredible and it's all down to to my parents yeah well my said and mother are amazing people uh head of the kobe mandel foundation eliana mandel bronner is with us live via telephone from israel by the way there is a crowdfunding campaign uh right now that's earmarked for the summer camping program as you heard eliana describe this is a camp that uh, gets together during the summer during Hanukkah time and around Pesach as well. So they are in touch uh, and dealing with and trying to help uh, children in this type of situation all year round. If you want to help out and get more information about what they're doing, it's KobeMandel.org, K-O-B-Y-M-A-L-M-A-N-D-E-L-L.org, K-O-B-Y-M-A-N-D-E-L-L.org for information. Also, a comedy for Kobe has become quite a thing it's funny because he was always both both in the photographs and in the uh, and the descriptions of the type of brother you had he was always uh portrayed as you know somebody who really loved life you know somebody who knew how to smile who knew how to be a good friend etc i guess the comedy for kobe um uh, uh you know uh, a title works in terms of the happiness that he was always described bringing to other people Absolutely. Kobe used to have a, um, a joke book that when he, w when he saw a book, uh, a joke that he liked, he would write it down in his book. <laughs> so we have at home a book 
that are jokes that Kobe wrote. Um, Kobe was always smiling. He always, he always had a joke to, to tell. And we know that he would love to have something named Comedy for Kobe. It's absolutely incredible. Pretty and cool. we're also having Comedy to Kobe, for Kobe come to Florida um, next in two weeks. So, so that, that's the everybody who's in Florida is invited. So that, and, we, and we've got Florida listeners who are tuned in, especially in the Boca area. This is actually happening in Boca on May fifteenth, correct? That's right. Yes. And the uh, the website is bocablackbox.com. If you want to be part of the comedy for Kobe uh, event down in Florida, it's happening on May the fifteenth. Tickets available at Boca B O C A blackbox.com. Boca Blackbox. Dot com and uh, what's happening in Israel? When is, when are things getting uh, uh, getting going in terms of Israeli shows? So in uh, at the end of May, on May thirty first, we have our first show in in um, in Israel, and it's going to be for that whole week. And people like I'm just getting to the website right now. Erica Rhodes, Avi Lieberman, Craig Shoemaker, Dan Adut, uh, they're all going to be part of it. The shows include appearances in Beit Shemesh. Uh, in Yerushalayim, in Gush Etzion, in Tel Aviv, in Ranana, and in Modi. And that goes from May the 31st through June the 6th. You could donate to the foundation and you could purchase tickets for each of these events if you go to comedyforkobe.com, comedyforkobe, K O B Y. Dot com and if I remember from the past, I think you have sometimes you sometimes you have people internationally who buy tickets and then uh, you give out the tickets in Israel, right? For people who just want to uh, donate, purchase tickets, be involved in some way, shape, or form, they could do that as well. Correct? Yes, correct. And we can also give them to to lone soldiers. Oh, give phenomenal! The that they purchase to lone soldiers. Phenomenal. So uh, keep that in mind, everybody, as you go to the website again, comedyforkobe.com, comedy for Kobe. Dot com. Uh, what can I say, Aliana? The work you're doing is pretty remarkable and amazing. I, uh, I, um, I am glad that there are people who are available to hold the hand of of hands of kids that are in situations like this and to really be involved with them year round, as you described. And I'm sure you know that uh, Kobe's death uh, certainly, as we've seen with some of the recent um, uh, tragedies, where the enemy has taken some of our great people, uh, had a, a real international impact. Um, why, why certain episodes, you know, get the type of attention they do and others may not get as much. I don't know. Uh, but this was certainly among the, uh, uh, among the episodes that got a tremendous amount of international attention. I, I'm sure you can, you continue even after all these years to feel the love from people around the world. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? When in a place where we're so where there is so much darkness, all we can do is add light, and that's what we do at the Kobe Mandel Foundation. No question about it. Call a vote to you. Best regards to your parents and to everybody, and continued good luck with the organization. Thank you so much. Down in Boca, if you want to go to the Comedy for Kobe night, it's um, it's uh, bocablackbox.com. It happens on May 15th. The Israel tour is basically the first week of June. In all the locations we mentioned, go to comedyforkobe.com. And those of you who want to support the Kobe Mandel Foundation, and especially the summer camp, uh, which is so important to those of us who appreciate you know, the importance of camp in general, you can imagine how important this get-together is annually. Uh, for the kids, go to KobeMandel.org. You're in the middle of a crowdfunding campaign literally right now. KobeMandel.org uh, to get more information and to participate. More coming up. It's a Friday morning Pesach Shaney edition of JM in the AM. Ba-da, ba-da, da, da. Ba-da, ba-da.
Tzvi Silberstein with that one. It's called Yedid Nefesh, Leif Tahar Had Shira Lamelech. Friday morning broadcast, Erev Shabbos Parshas MR, candlelighting in New York, 736. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Today's Pesach Sheni. Happy Pesach Sheni to all. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. Some people have the custom to eat matzah today. Enjoy. <laughs> for those of you who missed the matzah for the last three weeks, enjoy. Day 29 in the counting of the Omer. Again, if you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Our Lagba Omer celebration brought to you by our friends at 24-6. 24-6 is a uh, kosher music video and podcast entertainment platform. We'll talk more about it uh, on Lagba Omer. And... Um, Oh, you can actually search it if you want, 246-24-SIX, 24-SIX. There are family players available online, available through Amazon as well. And we'll talk more about it as we get closer. Uh, Tuesday uh, will bring us back to our regular format here at JM and AM. Milech Cohen joins us Wednesday morning in studio. Milech Cohen, he's got a brand new album uh, coming out soon, etc., etc. We'll talk about that and much, much more Wednesday morning right here at JM and AM Live in studio. Our friends at jewishworldreview.com remind you that uh, they've got thousands of articles that you could print out before Shabbos to learn even more about Israel, the Jewish world, and this amazing world of ours. Go to jewishworldreview.com for an endless number of articles and uh, a commentary that you'll want to uh, either print out or read on your computer. Again, go to jewishworldreview.com and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Fridays at this time for the weekly update at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you as always. So you don't spend Pesach Sheni in Florida. That's only Pesach itself in Florida. Yeah, it's not the same mitzvah in Pesach Sheni as it is on Pesach. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. Are we going to have, please God, please God, are we going to have a safe Lagba Omer? Obviously, there are people who get very concerned, as you can imagine, this time of year. In terms of security? Well, no, in terms of Israel. You know, we know what happened a couple of years ago. Uh, you've always been, you know, very careful to describe how difficult it is sometimes to implement measures that will make sure that everyone's safe and sound when a crowd like that gathers, especially in Israel, and there's a lot of considerations. What do you think going into this year? Well, there's certainly heightened security, which is what uh, uh, I thought you were referring to because of the number of incidents that have occurred. It's really not, it, I think they're more visible and they become more blatant. The numbers uh, obviously uh, remain high, but it's probably not much higher than previous years. Uh, I think Israelis generally have a sense of of, um, of caution, but don't want to give in and will not give in to the terrorists. And therefore, I think that the events will go ahead. Uh, there will be there already have been extraordinary precautions taken. Uh, as you saw, the raids that took place, they've been successful in, in apprehending the people who carried out the attacks over the last couple of months, especially the murderer of the Dees family uh, the, and some of the other high-profile uh, cases in the raids in the Nablus and other places, um, which are done at great risk, but with great care and great preparation. If you look at it, you see how remarkable it is how they are um, carried out. 
And it's not something we should take for granted. When you read a headline that people are apprehended in, in, uh, in sometimes in very isolated places, in hidden rooms, it means your intelligence is so extraordinary that they are able to, to get the information on the exact locations and then go in and get them. It's not the PA doing it. It's all done by Israeli soldiers operating within hostile, very sometimes very hostile uh, areas. So I think we should all say that, every, I mean, literally every time is a miracle that they come out and come back safely. And sometimes, unfortunately, they suffer casualties on their side, too. Is it all about the technology or is there still a large degree of uh, infiltration, military intelligence that's sending in people who are impersonating uh, the enemy um, and, and people in that community? Or is it really just a, you know, so much now is relying on technology? Look, technology plays an important part. You have drones, you have uh, uh, all sorts of artificial intelligence uh, monitoring uh, and monitoring devices, and you have cameras that can detect when something um, different is taking place. But there's nothing that substitutes for human intelligence and for having boots on the ground and having the observation. And when people say, you know, just withdraw and you can leave uh, cameras and other things there, it's true. We have many more capabilities, but in the long run, there's nothing that substitutes from the presence on the ground, the ability to, to, to monitor things directly, to get information, to hear what's going on, and to, to trace people who are, um, who are wanted. And no question that security, as you pointed out, I didn't even think of that, uh, is priority one, especially with large events. But I was uh, I was thinking more about the crowd control issue because after what happened like Bomer in Israel a couple of years ago, uh, you were encouraging, rightfully so, as so many Jewish leaders were, uh, people to take a step back and really come up with a real plan to take care of crowd control. But you also pointed out that, you know, with so many people having so many different considerations and how difficult it is to get certain things by when it comes to, you know, government overseeing, um, you know, the, the, one could be skeptical that a good system, a safe system is in place. I was wondering if we've gotten to the point there in Mayron uh, where people can proceed with uh, great confidence. I think that the that a lot of steps have been taken. Obviously, the government took it very seriously. There have been lapses, I think, in the inspection process. And you had the other collapse of the... Uh, um, in in uh, in Shul and other places right. that where investigators clearly did not catch, or where people just did it without getting the approvals. But I can tell you that the police have worked almost nonstop, and so did other agencies about the situation in Mayron. I think they will limit and direct people so that you don't end up with a situation where you can have where you can't have an easy evacuation. But I can tell you, I heard from a lot of people, including yesterday, that they're going. They're going this year. They're taking their children. They're um, looking forward to it. So it's really remarkable that uh, about the number of people who are going for Lag Bomber to Israel. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, what did you think of the visit of the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives to Jerusalem? And, and specifically, what did you think about him making a point to invite the prime minister to Washington, especially as the relationship between the prime minister and the president of the United States is a bit tenuous? Well, I think he's a long-term friend, and I think his other statements, his speeches on various occasions were really well done, very thoughtful, and, and moving in his personal 
involvement you could see and that he had with him a bipartisan delegation and it followed on a delegation uh, with Hakeem Jeffries, who's the Democratic leader, uh, minority leader in the House. The the um, the invitation, I think, was an expression saying that if you don't receive an invitation from the president, because remember, they already invited President Herzog to come and give the speech, which I think will take place in June, uh, maybe July, but right now I think they're aiming for June. Uh, to speak to both houses of Congress uh, to celebrate Israel's 75th anniversary. Mm. And he said this, I think, number one, to put pressure on the White House, um, but also to make it clear that uh, there's an alternative and that uh, Netanyahu would be welcome. Uh, But uh, I think on a bipartisan basis, people in the Congress um, are are urging a, a visit. And the White House made several statements, as you know, in response indicating that a visit will take place at the right time. They're just working out the timing on it. I wonder if uh, they'll try to coordinate uh, the president's visit so he could attend the Celebrate Israel Parade on June the 4th in New York. That would be nice. I, I wouldn't count on that. I think June 4th is close. Uh, but, uh, and it's, a, it's a, too much of an exposure to have the prime minister there, but I know that many other ministers will be coming in and participating in the parade, and I hope everybody else will as well. You know, I know Israel's always a political football, and I get it. You know, this is, uh, it, it's always it's always utilized, as we see again now during the last couple of weeks, so, you know, utilized uh, as an opportunity to, uh, to, to to win favor with one group or to win favor with another group, depending on whether you're loving Israel or condemning Israel, etc. But look, you know BB very well. Is it uncomfortable for him to be put in a position where obviously McCarthy's statement of an invitation to Washington is a dig at the president of the United States? Look, I'm sure he welcomed it uh, because he does want to come, and I think he wants to have the opportunity to tell the president directly about what's what's happening and express the concerns about the ships in the region, the moving plates, which we've discussed for many months here, uh, the Saudi-Iranian deal, the Iran's negotiation of their presence in Syria this week in Lebanon, the Raisi in Damascus, the acceptance of Syria back into the Arab fold, the, the many shifts that are taking place, all of which have very severe implications, as well as the continued progress by Iran on a nuclear program, which doesn't get much coverage and uh, interest today, but it, all the time they are moving ahead. And we see how they've refined some of the uh, the UAV technology, uh, unmanned vehicles, and the drones, and uh, and Hezbollah launched underwater drones, uh, which can carry weapons, uh, especially dangerous for uh, shipping, but also for the rigs, uh, oil rigs in in um, the Mediterranean that Israel has. So I think that he wants an opportunity to be able to to both be seen and be shown, you know, as a leader of Israel, and the fact that. Herzog gets invited, I think, puts added pressure on him, and and, and that he wasn't. Oh, so I think he he will. Uh, it, it is important for him politically. It's important for him substantively to have an opportunity to talk directly and to and to um, I think convey the concerns and their their impressions about what's happening. The United States has taken some steps, especially the. Um, buster bombs, bombers, bombs that are being placed on the warthogs, the uh, A-10 airplane, which 
this Air Force was phasing out, and now they've refitted them to be able to carry 16 bombs each. These are 250-pound bombs, and as you know, something Israel desperately wanted at once and, and wanted. But they, the fact that you have the presence and the announcement that the United States is doing, it's clearly targeted at Iran, <laughs> and, uh, and an important uh, uh, statement, as well as the presence of the the uh, nuclear-fueled uh, the USS Florida. Uh, I mean, there are these symbolic gestures, but in the meantime, we have very substantive uh, advances by Iran in its nuclear program and in its acceptance back into the, in, in the region. Yeah, well, we'll get to that in a second. A lot to say about that. I, a question, though, you you mentioned that uh, Israel had quite a, a, a enormous success at rooting out um, uh, those terrorists, especially the, the ones who were responsible for the murder of members of the D family. Um, what is what is your reaction when you hear Al Sharpton comment on the pay-for-slay policy that the PA has? Well, it just shows uh, the level of ignorance that exists that people, after all of the publicity and after the Taylor Force Act, after all the other things that have been done, that people still don't know that the PA has in place a policy. And by the way, I find it even amongst the Jewish community, don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars the PA gives to the families uh, of the terrorists or the terrorists themselves who get a pension. If their house is knocked down, they get money for a house, they, but their families get uh, pensions if they are killed. In uh, in the act of terror or in subsequently, and uh, the, you know they are glorified. They're still made martyrs and declared uh, heroes, and the people still don't know. And uh, the Europeans are finally taking some steps in this direction. Israel uh, this week withheld a larger payment from of the tax revenue that they uh, collect for the PA, uh, and gave the money to families of terrorists, right. uh, victims of terror. Um, sorry, and the um, uh, so, so the the fact that that people don't know about it, if they're, they're willing to listen and to learn about it, then it's progress. The problem is that they, you know, they don't they don't do the follow up, which is learning about the real facts on on what's happening on the ground. Right. We can do all we want. We try. Believe me, there's so much going on trying to 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 get the information out about this, and yet even members of Congress profess ignorance about some of these things, including pay to slay, which by now, I think most of them are at least aware of. Now, not that I need you to analyze Al Sharpton. That's a pretty big waste of time, but you have demonstrated some expertise regarding him in the past. Uh, I, I just think that someone like him usually just avoids, you know, anything having to do with Israel and certainly anything that would be a positive uh, point for Israel. It was interesting to see that, uh, uh, that he went ahead and discussed how appalled he was by the policy, and I don't know. Thought maybe he's he, he's, he's a master. He has proven himself a master of PR, and and uh, has become more diplomatic in his older age. Uh, and uh, and I've spoken off even about anti-Semitism. Right. Um, you know, he there's a, there's a long history, and we believe that people can do tshuva, but they have to prove it. Yeah. We want to see it at the really critical moments when they stand up, when we see black anti-Semitism uh, rising and, and increasing, and uh, and Farrakhan hatred permeating the community, the black community. That I want to hear them stand up to that, and then when the Farrakhan appears, that they don't stand next to him on a stage and won't appear with him is a more important statement to me 
of the uh, you know of new uh, a new atmosphere and new approaches and you know there was no commitment made all he did was respond to right. the information understood and now i'm glad i asked when the united states sends that aircraft with the advanced uh, um, uh, bunker busting bombs uh, to the middle east is the only way that iran knows about that because the united states announces it or they would have found that anyway no, ultimately they would find out because it's a little hard to hide uh, <laughs> 250 pound bombs in your back pocket. You know, the pilot just takes it with him with his lunch. But it's interesting but, that the U.S. goes out of its way to publicize well, because it. Because it's, it's, it's symbolic at this time. It's, it's a message. And you're right that the, normally, you know, when the new equipment and stuff is sent, usually you don't tell your right. enemy in advance. But this, the purpose is that this is meant to be prophylactic. It's meant to put Iran on notice that the United States will respond to any attacks. And, we, you know, despite the, the offensive now that they're engaged in to build ties, you know, with the Gulf states and, and in the region generally, and negotiate even with Turkey in Russia over, over Syria, et cetera, that they remain a threat, the major threat in the region, that their nuclear program continues to advance, that they have... Uh, um, subverted every attempt at negotiations, even from people who approach them with great naivete uh, about, you know, getting another deal, a smaller deal, less for less deal. All of that has been repudiated and, and rejected. And they have cast their lot with Russia and Ukraine and with China. And, you know, and we shouldn't read too much into some of the deals they made because the Sunni-Shiite divide remains. So Saudi Arabia is not going to jump so quickly into uh, arrangements with uh, with Iran, they're sending messages often to the United States right. and perceptions that we've discussed yeah. about how the United States is seen. But that's why the A10 is so important because it's a message by the United States: we have not abandoned the area. That we are then CENTCOM certainly has been doing a, a good job, uh, and certainly in, in demonstrating the centrality of Israel to CENTCOM operations, even I would say leading CENTCOM operations. The joint exercises, which are remarkable and sometimes uh, really uh, overwhelming, and yet get no, virtually no coverage here because it's a good news story about Israel and U.S.-Israel relationships. If the United States was a better ally, countries like Saudi Arabia would not have to publicly go ahead and, uh, and, and talk about a good relationship with a country like Iran. They just wouldn't have to do it if the United States demonstrated that you know they always had the, the back of Saudi Arabia, for instance. Well, I don't want to put the, all of the onus on the United States. I do believe that there are mistakes and that we, we did not send a message. You know, two tankers were uh, captured by Iran in the last week um, and uh, carrying oil to the United States, uh, at least one. But the, uh, but the fact that we haven't responded forcefully, we've given warnings, we've uh, threatened them, but the fact that they are willing to, to interfere with uh, transport of oil in the Straits of Hormuz and where, you know, 60% of our oil comes through those straits in that area, the, through the Gulf every day. And uh, the fact that the Iranians are acting in such uh, bold and blatant uh, ways, they, they also captured um, uh, British uh, shipping and, and or, or Greek rather shipping, and they use it to trade. They trade for prisons, they trade for other concessions, uh, and they're sending a message, a message to their own people, a message to the region, you know, that we are able to act with uh, with impunity. If there isn't a kind of really tough, strong response, 
that says we're not going to put up with this. This is piracy in the 21st century. And, and symbolism has great significance in the Middle East. I mean, it's not, you know, maybe less so here in some respects, but there everything is symbolic and people look at that. That's why the symbolism of the bunker busters, bombs coming to the region or the other ships or the fact that we didn't take out our aircraft carrier, because when we do, that sends a message that we are withdrawing, we are uh, diminishing our commitment to the region. And when we, you know, oh, by the way, are depleting the billion dollars of prepositioned equipment in Israel and not replacing it because we're sending it to the Ukraine, as we did, by the way, with Korea. This is not an anti-Israel move. It's a, it's a reflection of the fact that we have a shortage of ammunition and the ability to supply uh, Ukraine with uh, with equipment and with the um, ammunition is uh, is diminished and we we're putting ourselves at risk because we won't have the necessary um, material should is should the united states face a challenge in europe or elsewhere and that would not have been done i mean nobody could tell what the future would have held anyway but but in this case it's it's ukraine that that caused this there would no that repositioning would not have happened if not for the ukraine russia situation that's the, that's the immediate need, but the, the fact is that we obviously don't have the manufacturing capacity and we don't have the, enough spot stockpiles that, if God forbid, we were at a war and, you know, had to draw down huge amounts of equipment very quickly, that uh, we would be in the position to do so. So it's, I hope that there is a lot of thinking about how do we uh, increase our manufacturing capacity, because it's, it's only a couple factories, I'm told. And also, you need certain uh, materiel, which we don't have great supplies of for to, to um, for, for the ammunition. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, web at NalcolmSiegel.com and the NalcolmSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations. Um. Is the United States, as they have been accused, at all responsible for the attempted drone assassination of Vladimir Putin? It's very hard to think of a drone flying to the Kremlin undetected, especially by foreign sources. So either it was launched domestic, you know, locally or close by. Um, so I don't, and I wouldn't put it past the KGB to, to, or to, to do it themselves, to stage a pretext for some action they wanted to take and maybe it didn't work. Uh, and I think that the, I do not believe that the United States would engage or sanction any kind of a move like that. It's funny because uh, as so, so many people, th those are the two possibilities that we keep seeing in the media, inside job by the Russians, possibility of the United States. Obviously, they're being accused by Russia, but what about the third option? That there's plenty of there's plenty of enemies of Putin in Russia itself that might want to go ahead and assassinate him. In fact, there are, and there are more vocal voices, and then he imprisons those who are the most effective and who pose a potential threat. And we don't know how many people have been put in prison in Russia. It's a closed society, so we don't know. Uh, and and I agree completely that it could be a domestic source. Uh, but I think 
it would be a far stretch if if, uh, if Zelensky would think that that he could get away with uh, an attack again that would kill Putin. There is a lot of opposition to the war in Ukraine. You don't remember? You have a lot of families who have lost loved ones, thousands. Yeah, meaning, lost meaning, loved ones. meaning in Russia, in Russia, yeah. who have lost and who resent and can't necessarily speak out. In, in demonstrations and things, although you see some manifestations against the government on the Ukrainian policy, you see some political leaders who speak out, some of whom end up in trouble because of it. Right. But I think it's just a step too far to believe that the, the Ukraine or the United States would have launched it. Right. Agreed. That's why I keep thinking that there's, I mean, there's got to be people in Russia itself with power, with Many. Cap- with capability, with access that could do this. I mean, you know, how many times in history have we seen, uh, you know, att- you know, attempted assassinations of dictators or those who behave like them? I don't think it's that foreign. Um, Kader Adnan dying in an Israeli prison. Was that the reason that Israel's south was hit by hundreds of rockets this week? That was the excuse that was given. He, but people have to remember he was on a hunger strike for what, 80 days. It's not the first time. And in the past, they always negotiated it down. This time he refused. And it was his decision to go without food. The Israelis, um, you know, offered and cajoled and tried to get him to eat. He, he opted not to. Uh, in the past, they, when he would, they would hospitalize somebody and feed him intravenously and then eventually, and even release some who were in a very dire condition. But I think in this case, you know, it was a decision he made by his actions. And that triggered uh, the response. But you see this contained response that that I think nobody wanted this escalating into a full-scale war. You didn't have the activation of the other borders as some people said you would. Uh, Some of the pundits, you know, said, oh, we're going to have a three-war or three-sided response on this thing. The the PA had its own problems handling the demonstrations in the, the areas under its control and responsibility. And the uh, but the the north remained relatively quiet um, during this period, and Hezbollah and the Hamas um, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, you know, uh, sort of agreed this was a 24-hour phenomenon, and both sides have been holding, and both of those parties have been holding to the ceasefire, although there are constantly violations. Yeah, so the Stay Road area is relatively quiet today, um, at least by the standards of earlier in the week, let's put it that way. Um, we, we read about this uh, British spy that was executed by Iran. How, how commonplace is this? I mean, are there a lot of Western spies within Iran, or this is a real exception? First of all, it's not necessarily a real spy because uh, they executed him as such. I think most of the cases they deny it, that the people involved were not spies. Um, and there might be occasionally people who were, but Iran is the leading executioner in the world. I think there were more than 600 such executions last year, and this year even more, and you have a number of people who were executed for participation in the demonstrations, which who are um, equated to being spies under the regime and uh, working for foreign powers, which is cover for what the regime wants to do. And for a regime that claims to be religious and and uh, fanatical, in fact, they they don't value human life and do demonstrative things, hanging people from cranes and religious leaders, uh, Christian religious leaders, others uh, who don't uh, follow the government uh, exactly. Uh, and it's a society that's ruled by terror. 
and people, many people, there are thousands in jail from the demonstrations. And we should not be, and nobody should be talking to them or dealing with them until everybody is released and they, they stopped it, this reign of terror. But that's, that's the basis on which they exist and the amount of resistance to the regime. You know, I, I think I mentioned that last weekend, uh, on Friday, I think I mentioned a game, one of the games, but last weekend, across Iran, there were demonstrations at the football games. Yeah, we spoke about this, right? No, no, but many more this past week that since we appeared last Friday, so it was last Saturday, and during the week, public demonstrations, again, after the first, which put them on alert, so they were watching the stadium, but it didn't matter, and they were yelling, long live Israel, death to the Palestinians, they're praising Reza Shah, and the son of the Shah who visited Israel. I reported that the last time, it was because of information I got about two events. Now we know of many, many more across the country in different places. And as you know, the oil workers are on strike. Um, EC paid a visit to Khuzestan and now dismissed 50 administrators. But also threatened as Arabs and continue to, to send the messages um, uh, that they're not going to tolerate any assistance of people, and and especially sensitive in the ethnic areas, which make up more than half of Iran, and, and were the subject of a letter written by some members of Knesset, which were, was not smart, and and they rescinded it quite quickly. Um, because it was a, a naive move, and at best, and stupid, and worse, but dangerous potentially, especially for the community living in Iran. By the way, the Western media is painting this guy as a real spy. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know, if, like as you described, I don't know if he really is or isn't, but this, the the articles certainly indicate that he was. Yeah, but we can't. We have to be careful because somebody gets labeled as a spy in Iran. You know, they've labeled a lot. They took the 13 Jews a couple of years ago, if you remember, in the campaign that sure. I was privileged to lead. People didn't know, you know, they were accusing them of using the equipment. One of their wives gave him a cell phone and said, see if he knows how to use it, told the reporter. Right. And, right. and of course, they didn't. They were people, simple people, many of them shoe, uh, shoe clerk, uh, a store clerk, um, and some teachers and people. So just the accusation is just a, a vehicle, a means, you know, to arouse public opinion, to justify okay. the extremist actions that they take. I hear that. Uh, all right, two more things. The, the man that Turkey killed in Syria, was he truly the leader of ISIS? He was truly a leader of that part of ISIS, yes. And it was uh, an important hit for them. And they, they are still operating, and it's not something that gets much coverage. But they are still operating against the Kurds and others, but also against the ISIS, and so are the the troops, the the forces, the American forces that we back, also are are um, still fighting. The ISIS still has a presence, in fact, revived in some areas, but the the hit was an important one. And finally, I mean, I should have asked you this last week, but why not get to it now? And the, tr the truth is you may need more than a few minutes to answer this question. Uh, was the Biden-Yoon joint nuclear deterrence plan an actual deterrence plan? Uh, I really can't say. I've heard from uh, experts from both sides who say yes and who say no. Um 
we need more than a deterrence plan, but uh, I can't say whether it in fact was an effective plan. I mean, the put, is, one put, put into effect. The essential, uh, the essential message from the White House was: if anybody starts up with you, we'll be there to defend you. Right? That was basically it, at least publicly. That, that's uh, the any kind of message of this kind, because so much of this is being played not in a military field, but on in the media and on the internet and in uh, winning public opinion. And and you see all the different charm offensives uh, and the public manifestations that take place that don't have necessarily have big substance. One of the big issues that came up was Raisi's visit that supposedly Syria promised him huge watts of land in Syria, where they already have big holdings and, you know, have done population replacement. So there are things that are done quietly and are going on day to day, changing the face of Syria, where they're bringing in Shiites to replace Sunni populations that have been uh, ousted. Uh, so he makes a declaration like that, and people then call me and say, well, what does this mean on this side? I said, understand what's really happening on the ground on this. And the visit by the foreign minister to the border of Lebanon, you know, these are symbolic, but they also are used to send a message. Right. Sending a message that you know that they are bold and that they are able to, he's able to do it and threaten Israel. And they talk about Israel's weakness because of the internal uh, events that are are taking place. But it's you know there were on every front this week you know positive sides, negative sides. Where you see Saudi Arabia cutting production, the countries uh, Syria joining the move to the one away from dollarization, the de-dollarization that. Uh, that the Iranians and others have, have instituted. Um, there's just so much and you, and you have to always go beneath the surface to understand what the real significance, it's not what you always see. That is what, that is the real purpose or the significance in the long run for it. I hear that. However, just back to South Korea for a second. If, if North Korea would have felt threatened at all, knowing, knowing the personality of its leader, he would have made some type of, public statement in reaction to that meeting, no? Well, they have made public statements, but uh, the answer is you would have expected a more vocal response. Right, right. And, you know, but again, you know, what we play out on the peninsula there um, is is uh, we have not stopped the, the advance of North Korea. He's, he's firing missiles. He's adding more and more ballistic missile capacity in addition to his nuclear uh, program. And, you know, we have not stopped him. And does, he has still protection from other countries in the region. Does China worry about him? So that's exactly what I was referring to. China has to worry about him. First of all, they're worried that you could have a mass migration of Koreans into into China, they worry about the you know the potential of of a change of a revolution in which they would not permit. I think in in North Korea, but certainly they they worry about him. Uh, you know he's mercurial, he's unpredictable, and yes. you know he got to admit he's lasted and he is he's been successful in in maintaining his brutal dictatorship. And in advancing his, the country itself, and the people are not advancing, but advancing his goals, which is this super military capacity. Pretty amazing. Um, Malcolm, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week.
God willing, be well. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, with us Friday for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Pesach Shaney morning on a Friday, the 5th of May, day number 14 in the month of ER. That's right. It's Pesach Shaney. If you're not familiar with it, uh, consult with your local rabbi. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR with candlelighting in New York, 736. 736 in New York. Tuesday is Lagba Omer. It'll be brought to you, or at least our big Lagba Omer celebration, uh, brought to you by our friends at 24-6. We'll talk more about that in the 24-6 family player uh, next week here at JM in the AM. Uh, again, Erev Shabbos Parshas MR. On Wednesday, on Wednesday of next week, Milech Cohen visits us here at JM in the AM. On Wednesday next week, Milech Cohen visits us here in studio at JM in the AM. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net. Take a 10% discount with promo code radio and try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. Coming up after JM and the AM this morning, Naomi Nachman has table for two from Millie's Deli in Sydney, Australia. Don't worry, it's not live. I think it's Shabbos there already, so it wouldn't be live. Uh, but Naomi recorded a show at Millie's Deli in Sydney, Australia. You'll hear it uh, this coming, uh, well, you'll hear it this morning. Uh, less than an hour from now at 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. This time each every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudit, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nahum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Whoa. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Emor. Parshas Emor, according to the Chinuch, contains 63 mitzvot, 24 positive and 39 restrictions. Number one, today is Pesach Sheni. Number two, Shabbos is Parshas Emor. And please God, this coming Monday night and Tuesday is Lag Baomer. I'd like to speak about all three and perhaps come up with a kind of continuity um, between all three and a common denominator. So let's start with today, Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni is found in Parshas Baha'aloscha, and the Torah teaches that there's something about Korban Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, which is brought on the 14th of Nisan. There's something special about that mitzvah in that if one could not bring the first Korban Pesach, either or, because he was Tomei Nefesh, he was impure, having attended a funeral, having been part of a Hebra Kadisha. So that individual is given a second chance 
to bring the Korban Pesach on the 14th of the second month of Eeyore, this today, Pesach Sheni, in order to fulfill that mitzvah. Now it's interesting, we don't have this in the Torah with any other mitzvah. You miss Shofar, we don't say, ah, oh, the day after Rosh Hashanah, get the Baal Tokea to blow for you. And we don't fast on the morrow of Yom Kippur if a person couldn't fast for whatever the reason. So it's fascinating that the Korban Pesach is so significant, perhaps because it is your identification with the Jewish nation, as opposed because you didn't bring the Korban Pesach by yourself, it had to be with a Chabura. That's only, as I said, a perhaps, but the idea behind it is a very powerful one. Individuals come to Moshe and they say, we are Tomei. Now they were Tomei for a very good reason. They were carrying and they were involved with the remains of Nodav and Avihu. They certainly were excused. They had more than an excused absence. They were him. They were excused by the law itself. And what do they come to Moshe and they say thanks, but no thanks. We don't want to be excused. Lama nigara. Literally, why should we be punished? Why should we not be able to be a part of the community? Whoa. And this idea is exceedingly important. Chapter 9, Pasuk 7, in the book of Bamidbar, Lamanigara is translated, why should we be diminished by my offering, Hashem's offering in its appointed time? Hashem tells Moshe, you asked for it, you got it. Pesach Sheni, the 14th of Eeyore. Wow, what does it show? It shows that a person should want more. The concept of bikush, I am not satisfied with an excused absence. I want to participate. I want to be part of Klal Yisrael. Good. I want to share with you a very interesting Rambam. At the end of the first chapter of Hilchos Korban Pesach, Halacha Chof, the Rambam writes that if somebody brings the Korban Pesach on the 14th of Nisan in the afternoon, and it turns out that it was a trefa, that there is a blemish found within the animal, a punctured lung, stomach, etc. So now, what does the Rambam say? Go get another animal. Even if a hundred times. Now, there's not going to be time to get a hundred, and it's not simply an exaggerated statement, but the Rambam is saying, don't give up. And if you do this till the evening, writes the Rambam, and you cannot successfully bring the Korban Pesach, so you go to Pesach Sheni, because you are an Onos. I think that there's something very powerful in this Rambam, 
that the person could very well have said, wait a minute, maybe Hashem is trying to tell me something. Maybe this is not really for me. And the answer is no. You are to be persistent. And this is so true as we find, unfortunately, people might try a shear and what happens is they don't either enjoy it, they're not connected one time, two times. I'm gonna say to you, listen to the Rambam, go back again and again, and you will find it interesting. You will find it exciting. If not that one, another one, but don't give up. And that's a very important idea that this is the theme of Pesach Sheni. Moving on to Shabbos, Parshas Emor. So I'd like to call your attention to the very opening Rashi of the Parsha. The Parsha seems to have a redundancy whereby Hashem says to Moshe, Emor El HaKohanim, say to the Kohanim, and Viomarta and tell them, why do I need say to them and tell them? So Rashi tells us, quoting the Gemari of Vamos, Kufya Dalar Amar Aleph, Emor Amarto Lahazir Kidolim Alakatanim, which means that the adult Koanim are to teach, warn, even the younger Koanim, those below the age of Bar Mitzvah, that they too are to be careful regarding the laws of Tamei Nefesh, meaning that they too are to <clears throat> keep away from a dead individual, the cemetery. The boys are playing ball. The ball rolls into the cemetery. Mr. Cohen's son should not go get the ball. Mr. Levy's son, Mr. Israel's son, they can go in to get the ball, not the Cohen's son. Now, what's going on here? I believe there's another interpretation aside from to warn or to teach. You can understand the word lahazir to mean to shine. Kizoa as the stars shine in the firmament. What does that mean? The Torah is teaching beautifully that it's the job of a parent, Hazir Gedolim, Alaktanim, to make the children shine. Now, how do you make the children shine? By giving the children the proper role models. The children will copy and emulate their parents. If you want your child to shine, you have to shine yourself. The more you work on your midos, the more your children don't hear Lashon Hara at the Shabbos table, the more the children see what mommy and daddy are into in their spare time that they go to a shear, that they have a chavrusa, whoa, this is going to influence the child. And therefore, when we say ashray, and we say for the alphabetically, when it comes to the dalit, door the door, yishabach ma'asecha, which means literally one generation after another, 
praises your actions, I believe you can understand the verse to mean one generation after the next one improves upon what the previous one had. And therefore, the nature of a parent is to want more for our children. Now, how does that work? So there's an interesting halacha in Yoradea, Simon, Pei Aleph, Halacha Zayin, where the Shulchan Aruch says as follows, that if a woman, Jewish woman, could not nurse her baby, so what happens? She gets another woman. Even a non-Jew, and if a non-Jewish woman nurses a Jewish baby, the Ramah writes that the non-Jewish is to eat kosher. Now, ordinarily, not only don't we care, we're not involved. And a non-Jewess can certainly eat non-kosher. However, here we're saying if she is nursing a Jewish baby, that which she eats is going to affect the baby, and therefore she cannot eat non-kosher while she is nursing. What's going on here? So we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu that Moshe did not nurse from any of the Egyptian women. Why, explain our rabbis, peh, the mouth that will speak in the future with God cannot be contaminated from the non-Jewish source. We treat every Jewish child that it has the potential of speaking with God, yes. And I'm gonna tell you something fascinating. There's a custom in many synagogues that when one's wife is in the ninth month, the husband is honored with psicha to open the Oran Kodesh, to take out the Torah. Why? So your immediate instinct is psicha, opening that please God, the birth should be in an auspicious and good moment and everybody should be well. But I heard a very nice interpretation and that is that the father-to-be takes out a Torah and when he holds the baby in Mirz Hashem, he should realize what he's holding. He's holding the potential of a walking Sefer Torah. We connect the two. We look upon the future of our children that we want more for them than we are. That's the nature of a parent that always wants more. It's only going to happen one way. If we have the element, attribute, character of Bikush, we want more, please God, our children will outdo us. More of what? More of sports, more of recreation, more of Torah, more of mitzvos, more of chesed. And finally, Lagba Omer. Mir Hashem, Monday night and Tuesday. What are we celebrating? Are we celebrating that they stopped dying? The 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying? Or no, that's not a cause for celebration. The cause for celebration is that Rabbi Akiva did not say, I'm old and I'm tired and I put in my effort. Let's, no, 
Rabbi Akiva took five more Talmidim, gave them smicha, and what we, the Torah, we have today is the Torah, forgive me, im derecheretz, the Torah that goes together with chesed, one to another, which is what the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva unfortunately were lacking, and therefore we learn from Rabbi Akiva, Bikush, don't be satisfied where you are, always, not only continue, but always want more. I believe this powerful message that we learn from today, Pesach Sheni, from Emor, the Parsha of the Week, and Lagba Omer, should inspire each and every one of us that as we anxiously now that we are getting closer to Shavuos, we realize, whoa, why this is the reason we were taken out of Mitzrayim. And just as every Jew is to realize, we said at the Pesach Seder, and look upon himself as if they personally left Egypt, how excited we are that each of us personally were at Sinai. And that's why we always want more. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. in the A.M. There we go. Herschel Rosenberg with the um, 
Shabbos Kodesh selection here at JMN. Before that, the Chadodi done by the Shabbos Dig Otsros collection. And uh, here we are on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Parshas Emorts Pesach Shani. Those of you who have the custom to eat some matzah today, don't forget. <laughs> I don't even know if we have any matzah. Oh, I think we do have some matzah left over, if I'm not mistaken. I think before we left for Israel, we actually did have some matzah in the house, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, anyway, it's Arab Shabbos with Kettle Lighting at 736 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Tuesday, our Lagba Omer celebration will be brought to you by our friends at 246. You'll be hearing a lot about them here on JM and the AM. It is a um, an amazing platform for uh, songs, for videos, for podcasts, etc. And we are going to be featuring them here starting Tuesday with our Lag Bomer special. Wednesday, Milech Cohen visits us here at JM. The Milech Cohen live in studio this coming Wednesday at JM. And the AM is certainly looking forward to that. More coming up. It's Friday. It's Erev Shabbos, JM and the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. at Shalom Aleichem, done by, uh, again, Shabbos de Gotros here on a uh, Friday morning era of Shabbos. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Always a pleasure, to say the least. Uh, don't forget our great weekend programming. Coming up just a couple of minutes from now, it'll be Naomi Nachman. Live from, uh, well, I shouldn't say live. That wouldn't be fair. <laughs> since it's practically Shabbos there already. Um, but she recorded a show in um, Australia. She actually recorded a show. Avrami sent me the exact information. Uh, Millie's Deli in Sydney, Australia is where Naomi recorded the show. Millie's Deli in Sydney, Australia. That show is coming at you starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time right here, just a couple of minutes from now on the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, Kedem presents the Arab Shabbos music mix all through the day, right here on NSN. So you'll be able to experience that uh, all the way until candle lighting time. Um, so that's until candle lighting time. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Sunday, it's Matis and JM Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Here on the Nachum Siegel Network, join Matis for that. Monday, we are back, starting at 6 a.m. Tuesday is a Lagba Omer celebration, brought to you by 24-6. And Wednesday, Milech Cohen visits us in studio here at JM and the AM. Pretty amazing, huh? Time to take a Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM. The sun is going down It's shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh Say good job Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day Together with The Holy One Say a special blessing On a cup That's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very special sign your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do 
My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Rather on the web at NachumSigl.com and the NachumSigl Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday and an amazing week here at JM and the Empress Sphere format, I'll tell you. Pretty amazing. Uh, plenty coming up over the weekend, as you know. Naomi Nachman is next from Sydney, Australia, uh, with Table for Two. Then it'll be uh, our Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, all the way until candlelighting of Rummy with Saturday Night Seagull with Rabbi Eliezer's Wickler tomorrow night. Matis with JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. Monday morning, we're back. Tuesday, our Lagba Omer celebration brought to you by our friends at 24-6. Wednesday, it'll be a uh, wonderful visit from Milech Cohen to our studios here at JM in the AM. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Till next week, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.